Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, session 437. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Jack. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 437 you're listening to. My guest today is my friend Noam Levenberg, who's a mix and mastering engineer based in Tel Aviv, Israel. He has worked on music for Netflix, Volvo, Stripe, Google, Adobe, Shopify, Nike, and many more. He's also the owner of Safari Pedals, which is a plugin company. I have a couple of his plugins. They're plugins that look like guitar pedals, and they're super cool. And we'll talk a little bit about that and his transition from audio into plugin maker uh, and how he kind of keeps all of it going at the same time. And Noam and I originally met at Mix with the Masters in 2017 uh, when we were hanging out with Chad Blake and we hit it off and he appeared briefly in episode 145 with all of my Mix with the Masters uh, attendees as kind of a short like introduction, like, hi, who are you? And, you know, what did you think of this kind of a thing? So really happy to have Noam back in his own uh, dedicated episode. So yeah, Noam Levenberg coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's ask ourselves the question, are we running on autopilot? Okay, so you've been at this a while, right? You've been doing whatever your audio gig is for ages, right? Maybe you got 10, 20, 30 years in and you know what you're doing. You got your routines, you got your regular clients, you know the ins and outs of your gear. You are in familiar territory. You are in your comfort zone. My question to you is, are you running on autopilot? And if so, is that a good idea? I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I do raise the question that if you are running on autopilot, are you growing bored? Are you not catching things that are outside of your normal routine? Are you missing opportunities? Are you becoming dismissive? And are you becoming pessimistic? Now, those, in my opinion, are not the best things to have in, in your world. If you're on autopilot and you're missing some of these things and or you're, you're becoming the old grumpy audio person, I just don't think that's a great recipe for success, for continued success. It's kind of like if you're driving and you're on a road trip and you just put the cruise control on and you let it run and you just keep going, you know, for, obviously this is hypothetical, so let's not even get into the, well, then you need to get gas. No, let's just pretend that you're in the car, you're driving and you just keep going and you're missing opportunities. You're missing exit points on the freeway to go and see things and do things. Maybe you're just kind of going at a particular pace and people are passing you by. I think you get my analogy. I love doing the analogy thing because I think it really highlights the point. And with this autopilot thing, you know, I worry about it for myself. I don't want to be on autopilot. A, because I don't want to get bored. And B, I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss opportunities for gigs that might come 
as a result of me saying, no, that falls outside of my comfort zone or uh, just being so ingrained in my own routine that I dismiss something. I think you get the point. Okay, then what's the answer, right? How do we avoid autopilot? Isn't it? I think that's a character in, uh, in the airplane movies. Auto, autopilot, right. The blow-up guy. Um, how do we avoid it? How do we not become complacent and dismissive and turn into the grumpy sound person, in, you know, generically speaking? And if we are, how do we get out of that, right? I really think it takes a mindset shift. I think you have to not be jaded. You really can't be. I think you have to ask yourself, do I still have the passion for what I'm doing? Or am I doing it just to bide my time and get to wherever it is you're going to go? What is that? Retirement, I guess. You know, and maybe it has to do with personality. I tend to see the positive in things. I tend to see the possibility in things. And if you don't, uh, I'm not saying you're a bad person, but you, you may be missing things. You may be not uh, providing yourself the opportunities or making the connections to open doors. Now, am I, you know, always uh, the happy audio person and receptive to everything? No, but on the whole, I think I am a positive person who tries to make new audio friends, make new business friends at any given point because I'm just an extroverted person. And that could be part of it too. You might be introverted and, you know, dealing with people all the time zaps your energy. Whereas extroverts tend to get energy from being around people. My wife and I, uh, she's an introvert. We've had this discussion a gazillion times. And it's funny because I work all day by myself and she works all day with people. And it's like the opposite of how we are personally. So any chance I get to, you know, meet up with people in person or chat with people, you know, I enjoy it. Maybe that's why I enjoy doing the podcast because I, you know, like, I like to talk into the mic because I like talking to all of you. So, okay, but back to the point, really, how do we, how do we uh, avoid this? I think it's like anything. You have to admit that, oh yeah, I'm grumpy and dismissive and I am missing opportunities because of my attitude. It's like, it's kind of admitting you have a problem. Finding the ways to get around that is to just kind of, I think you just need a, possibly a break. Maybe you need to go on vacation and come back with a renewed sense of excitement about the world of audio. And I know for some of us, that's really tough to take a vacation because, you know, the phone's ringing and you got to keep the work coming in. Or, you know, if you're doing the, the road work, you're on the road all the time and taking a vacation would be like unheard of. But maybe that's what it is. Maybe you just need to take a vacation and get away from all of it and re-energize because if you continue on the same path, there's gonna be a point where the opportunities may run out and or your performance in these roles starts to become diminished and you're not operating at your best and people notice and then they hire somebody else. I think maybe that's where, where this all could lead in the negative is, you miss stuff. You miss stuff that people, you know, say 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you would have caught, but now 10, 20, 30 years in, you're just the old grumpy person and you miss shit and you don't get excited about shit and people just don't like hanging out with you. That could really be where all this ends up. And then, like I said, they just say, nah, 
he or she is old and, and, and no fun to be around. Let's hire somebody else. Let's take somebody else on the road. Let's hire somebody else to make the record or, you know, uh, whatever discipline of audio you're doing. The younger people coming up sense that kind of assholeness in you and they just don't want to be around it, right? And they're in a position of making decisions and they just convince the powers that be that you're no fun. And you mess something up on the last gig because you're just like too too dismissive of new ideas. So that's what it boils down to, friends. Stay fresh, stay positive, be fun to be around. And, you know, I've said it in, in many other episodes in different ways, shapes, and forms, but you know what? You're not always the smartest person in the room. There's a lot of smart people out there. It's how you deal with those people in the room that, that really matters. And if you try to exert some kind of, you know, hey, I've been at this for 30 years, I know all the answers kind of bullshit, I think that's when people really just start to write you off. Don't be that person. Be the one who is uh, wise, uh, but not old and grumpy, right? Wisdom carries more weight than, you know, the the grumpy senior level person who's been at it forever and everybody just kind of naturally thinks, oh yeah, well, don't tell them. They, they have nothing left to learn. So that's it. Have I worn you out? I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, I just... I got a little coffee in me and I just kind of had this on the top of my head. I wanted to run it past all of you. So if you have differing opinions and you think I'm wrong, hey, that's cool. You know, either way, send me an email if you if you have something to say about this topic. I, I'd love to hear it, uh, good, bad, or otherwise. Because I don't think I'm the smartest person in the room, for sure. Well, actually, I'm the only person in the room right now, so I guess technically I am. But if, if you agree or disagree, just send me an email and uh, let's discuss, all right? That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and in a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com.
I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. That's it. Let's get to it. Noam Levenberg here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Noam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Matt. I should say welcome back because you've been here before for a short time. True. Very short. (laughs) Yeah. That was episode 145 and we are now in the 440 range. That's crazy. Yeah. Mad respect for, for your consistency and in general, just I'm a big fan of the show I've listened to so many episodes and it's crazy that whenever I feel like listening to an episode, which I did last week, I just check in and and find out that there's like 20 episodes that I didn't listen to. So it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Inspirational, really. Well, pace yourself. There's too many out there to count. (laughs) So at the risk of repeating ourselves a little bit from... The episode that you were on, episode 145 originally, that was just all of us at Mix with the Masters 2017 with Chad Blake. And I just kind of got an overview of everybody. Didn't get too detailed, if I recall correctly. So let's get detailed here. Let's talk about your past and the journey you've taken and, and where we're at today. So let's just get into the past right now. First off, Speaking in terms of the present, you're talking to us from Tel Aviv, Israel. Correct. And where did you grow up? I grew up mostly in Tel Aviv. I did have some of my uh, childhood in New Jersey, actually, East Brunswick, New Jersey. We moved there when I was about a year old. (laughs) And we stayed there for, I think it was seven years. Came back to Israel and been in Tel Aviv ever since. Born and raised Tel Aviv with a little gap in in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. You got to have a stop in New Jersey. (laughs) Yeah. Brothers, sisters? I have an older brother, four years older than me. He's an architect. Speaking of your brother growing up and, and going to school, was he better academically than you were? Man, he was better at everything. (laughs) Yeah, I was a slacker. I did not like going to school. He was like really popular kid, really into sports. I was terrible at sports, terrible at studying. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I, I leaned towards music pretty early on. Yeah. Were you in the, the basic band programs that your school offered? 
I went to a very basic school, so we didn't have any programs, but there were kids jamming around. Me and a few friends founded the music program in, in our high school to have a decent education in terms of music. So it was pretty cool. When did audio start to creep into your world? When did you start to notice that audio was of interest to you? I really loved playing music and I really loved listening to music. But really early on, like at the age of 13 or 14, I realized that everybody's better at playing music than me. And I used to go to like band practice or hang out and jams and stuff. And I had this feeling where I belonged. I mean, it was my kind of sort of people, but I wasn't picking up any instrument. So pretty early on, I uh, started recording the bands with whatever was available, like an, an ADAT at school or a mini disc. As soon as I got myself into recording a jam session or a rehearsal, I was instantly hooked. I wanted to learn all about it. So in the household growing up, with a brother who was doing well in school, was really good at a lot of different things. What approach did your parents take with you, and did they look at your interest in music and audio as something to hold on to, or were they trying to push you in other directions? I think my parents were amazing in that, first of all, they had this approach where they were trying to show us, both me and my brother, everything they can. So... A little bit of music, a little bit of sports, a little bit of anything they can get their hands on. And when I was growing up, I didn't realize how special that is. I mean, some kids' parents are really pushy towards something that they think is best for their child. But in our house, it was really a little bit of everything. And once my mom saw that I was so dedicated to music... She was 100% supportive. I mean, it got to points where later on, when I was like 16, 17, 18, there were bands hanging out in the, in the house and uh, people smoking weed in the backyard, and she was fine with everything. Looking back, I don't know if I would be so cool as a parent, so supportive and trusting my 17-year-old to stay <laughs> out of trouble. <laughs> so you're saying if your your kid came home and, and was had friends smoking pot in the backyard, you'd be like, not so cool? I mean, if they were his age, maybe I would be cool. But I'm talking about like me being 17 and then having a 30-year-old dude smoking weed and, and recording music <laughs> in my basement. Oh, wow. With a pink mohawk and like a crazy tattoo or something. Yeah. Was college in the discussion with your parents and some kind of like plan for post, post high school? Yeah, my parents really wanted me to go to college or university, but I was so hooked on music, there was no chance. I left home when I was 18 to work in a studio and live by myself, and it, it was just like 100% dedication to music. Looking back, they were <laughs> educated, smart people. I wish I would get a degree in something, but yeah, I, I just didn't have the patience or time at that particular point in my life. So they were okay with that, right? Yeah, they, did, they didn't love it, but I, I felt like they were supportive and I felt like 
I was on a quest to prove them and the world that I can make a living from music and live by myself and be independent. So I didn't really leave them a choice. <laughs> Tell me about this studio. What was your in to get to that studio? Yeah, so people don't particularly know this, but there's a lot of music going on in Israel, in Tel Aviv specifically. So there's quite a few studios around. And I found out as a 15-year-old about a big studio in the middle of town. And I used to hang out under the studio. So just waiting to see who's going in, who's going out. And through asking random people questions and stuff, I found uh, the studio manager and studio owner. And at first he was kind of pushing me out and saying, come back in a few years or something. But he saw I was consistent and I, I used to take the bus every day to hang out there on the street. So at some point he was just like, you can come in, you can grab some people coffee if they want or food and help out in the kitchen, but don't go in the studio. So I did that for about a year and then slowly got to a point where I could clean the studio and then got to a point where I can roll the cables. <laughs> and this is at what, 18? Yeah. I can't imagine the intensity and uh, impatience that you must have felt about, oh my gosh, I just want to get in there. I just want to get in the control room. Yeah. At the time, that was the only thing I wanted. I used to go to sleep and dream about it. I used to go back home and try and figure out in my basement what I've seen that day. I used to have this diary <laughs> where I, I drew pictures of where the microphones were. And I, I just have this like one memory of seeing my first drum session. I was like, oh, they put a mic on every drum, like on the kick drum, on the snare drum. I was like, that's insane. <laughs> I was just shocked by the, the idea of that. I wonder if that, that method of drawing it out, like the owner saying, you can hang out, get people coffee, but don't go in the studio. And that whole process of slowly bringing you in, it does right. a number of things, I would assume. And, I, and, and I'd be curious if you agree with me. Number one, I think it weeds people out. And number two, for sure, it really makes you want it. And it, yeah. it gets you to, I guess, slow down and observe everything about that studio. So, you, yeah, you're dreaming about getting in there and recording, but you're also becoming intimately familiar with your surroundings in the kitchen, with the staff, with every little detail outside before you even get in there. I totally agree. And I think one thing that I really remember from, from that period of time in my life is getting to know artists and hanging out with musicians outside of the studio or like in the lobby area and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you get, you get a sense of like what those people are thinking about, what makes them jump, what makes them happy or frustrated or whatever. And it was such a important lesson for me because when you think about it, even these days, I think everything is, is relationships. Like you get a specific job or a mix or whatever because somebody trusts you, because somebody wants to work with you as a person. It's not always about just pure sound. It's much more about helping someone achieve 
whatever they're looking to achieve or supporting them or whatever. So being around the studio, but not actually jumping into recording, I think was a really big part of my learning. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to you showing up and then just giving you the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. You know, they they make you work for it. They make you earn it. Yeah, and, and also, like, if you compare it to these days where there's not a lot of studios around and people record stuff at home, it's a totally different environment and it's a totally different mentality as well. So was did you come of age in this studio? Was this, like, a focal point for you? Did you stay on long there? I didn't stay on long there. I was there for about three years in total. And I actually, I'm still in contact with the studio owner and he, he's an amazing guy. He was the one who helped me move on from that studio, from that position into actually moving, moving to India. <laughs> so you were there for three years and he was instrumental in helping you move to India? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I worked for him for three years there and I started doing some very small jobs both in a, as an assistant as well as a engineer for like after hours small indie bands and stuff and then basically his good friend started a label in India which is a whole different story but he was looking for someone to come in for like two or three weeks to record a project he gave me a call and he said hey kid I'm not gonna go because I have family and obligations here and it's like really short notice but I think you can probably pull it off. Hmm. It's surprising when I look back on how confident I was because I knew nothing at that point. <laughs> but I still was really confident in myself to say like, yeah, sure, I know how to operate a studio in a country I've never been in and with a console I've never worked on. And yeah, flew there for three weeks. Actually lied about my age because the label in India asked me how old I am and I was like 25. <laughs> because I wanted the gig so hard. Flew there, did the three-week thing, and the client was really happy, and they actually offered me to stay there. Eventually, I stayed there for a good three years. Where in India was this? This was in Chennai. So Chennai is not a very known city, but it's huge. There's 14 million people there. It's in the south. There's a big music scene and movie scene there. They call it Hollywood. So there's Bollywood, which is in Mumbai, and then there's Hollywood, which is in Chennai. In that three-year period, what were you working on? Oh, man, we did so many things. It was one of the best times in my life because there was just like a never-ending flow of work coming in and new experiences. And uh, I was still really, really young at that point, and everything was new and exciting and stuff. I did project after project for a lot of ethnic world music. Mm -hmm. The name of the label was called Earth Sync, and they were focused on really rootsy, organic, uh, acoustic music. And it, it was great. I mean, I had not a lot of experience in that area, but I got a chance to record a lot of different instruments. The guy who, who was in charge there, his name was Yotam. And he taught me a lot about recording. I, I owe him a lot of my career. But then after, I would say, like a year or so of working in the studio, 
we actually started a sampling company called Earth Moments because we were recording such a vast array of Indian instruments that wasn't really available in the West that uh, Yotam thought that it might be a good idea to start sampling it and, and selling it to companies to offer unique bundles and stuff. So started doing that and then that grew into me basically flying around India with a case full of Neumann microphones and a laptop recording in any environment you can imagine. I mean, there, there was like recording in hotel rooms, proper studios, all the way down to recording in the jungle, like the literal jungle. I just want to pause for a second and direct the audience to a link that I'll have in the show notes. So, you know, Noam, you were in Chennai, India, and Baba Prasad on WCA number 281, he's got a yeah. studio in Chennai, Digi Sound Studios. So just to kind of connect the dots globally here, I'm going to put a link to uh, Baba Prasad in the show notes for people to check out. And a shout out to Baba Prasad if he's listening. Yeah, I heard his episode. It was it was really interesting. And I think we crossed paths at some point in Chennai. So he, he's a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's active on uh, social media for working class audio, so I always hear from him. I want to ask you, the guy that you were working with, his name is Yotam? Yeah. If you had to sum up what you learned from him, what were the takeaways from that experience? Because, I mean, that's a, kind of an extraordinary experience if you think about it, especially for a kid coming from Tel Aviv to go to India, to Chennai. I bet that was culturally very, very eye-opening on a number of levels. And I bet you learned a ton from Yotam. For sure. If I had to sum it up, I think, first of all, he's an amazing person. And he just gave me a sense of showing me the ropes in a very active way, as opposed to what I experienced before that. So he would literally sit with me for hours and explain why he's using this EQ or that EQ or, or this microphone or that one, as well as having me on a regular basis hanging out with his family and talking about life and stuff. So he was like a real mentor for me. And I also think he had the patience to stop and correct me at a lot of points like technical points as well as working with clients or backing up procedures or whatever. He was really there for me, I think. Before that, there were a lot of people helping me out, but there was never someone who had that much time and effort to, <laughs> to teach me everything. And culturally just very different from, from Israel. Oh, yeah. It was night and day. I fell in love with India I love the culture there, especially South India. I think there's so many different cultures in India. And I was lucky enough to see a lot of it because we were flying on a daily basis to different places. It's just such a big culture shock and different mentality, different everything. I remember one of the first things, <laughs> this is a really funny story. One of the first recordings I, I did in India was a very famous percussion player. His name is Balu. And he was supposed to arrive in the studio for a whole day of recording. It was like, I don't remember the exact timing or something, but it was like Monday, 9 a.m. And I set up everything like an hour early. <laughs> and I was really excited to see him and record him, etc. 
and uh, he showed up at like like 1 p.m. and I was I was so frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> and he just came in with a smile and I was like, "Where were you? We were supposed to start at 9. Was I misinformed or something?" And he was like, "Yeah, we were supposed to start at 9, but there were a few things I had to take care of and here we are and it's it's time to record." <laughs> Time in India is just like a different concept, I feel. In in a good way too, you know, like it gives you a lot of perspective about how we live our life. Yeah. Why? Because you feel like in the United States and in Israel and in the more westernized countries we're a little more type A and a little more like on top of the time. Yeah, I think you miss a lot of things when you structure your day with exactly what you planned. And I think in India a lot of times you can't really control what happens. So for example, something that's amazing in my opinion in the culture that I, I've experienced in Chennai especially is if you see someone with a, I don't know, like a car problem or some kind of thing that he needs help with, usually there'll be like three, four, five people trying to help the guy out and take the car to, to the mechanic or anything that person needs. And it doesn't matter if those guys are late to work or have a meeting or whatever. It's just more fluid. You know what I mean? Wow. Interesting. So just strangers are more inclined to help out another stranger. Yeah. That as well as many other things that can happen with your day. I mean, I don't know. Like I, I remember going to a studio and then realizing that the electricity was off and I was so stressed out, but everybody else seemed really calm about it. They were like, oh, it'll come up at some point. Let's drink some tea and relax and stuff. And it's just a different perspective of time, I think. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. 
I also want to point out that when you and I went to mix with the Masters, we both met Rishi Bradu, who is oh, yeah. part of our, our group, who's from India. And I'm curious if when you were at Mix with the Masters, if you and Rishi had any discussions about your time in Chennai. Yeah, absolutely. Man, your memory is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we talked quite a bit. We're still in contact once in, in a while. He's a really sweet guy. I think he was from Mumbai. And Mumbai is a little bit more, from my experience, a little bit more westernized because it's a cosmopolitan. So it's a little bit different. But Mumbai is probably my favorite city in the world. It's just amazing. The food there is insane, as well as the music and everything. So you were there three years. Yeah. And what brought you back to Tel Aviv? Okay, so... <laughs> I had an Indian girlfriend at the time, and we were really in love, and she got a job offer in London. So we were planning on moving there together, and I had an Israeli friend who connected me to a really nice studio there, and I was supposed to go there and start working in a studio in London. And I came to Tel Aviv, I came back to my parents' house for like a month or two to just organize everything and fly to London. What ended up happening is I came back to Israel and I fell in love with my wife and yeah, ended, ended up staying here. Oh no. So yeah, the, the girlfriend in India, that didn't happen. Yeah. She, she lives in London ever since she's married to a British guy. And I saw her two or three times after that. We're in good relationship. Everything's fine. When you're young, or at least when I was young, I used to make rash decisions on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure that, that was a moment of young love that was intense, yet I'm sure the breakup was equally as intense. Yeah, I can't explain it. There was just this urge in me to... It was after not being in Israel for many months or, or even like a year before I visited before that. And I just came home and I, I felt the awesome feeling of, of feeling like you're in your element, you're in your zone, you're in your place. I met my wife, my Tara, and yeah, I don't regret anything. I mean, <laughs> I had a, <laughs> it, was, it was great. Yeah. So you continued on in Tel Aviv and where did your audio career go from there? So as soon as I came to Tel Aviv, I heard from a few friends that a really large studio facility was built called Pluto. And they actually were just in the process of acquiring a lot of gear from LA. They brought in like a, a big 60-channel Neve console and another SSL console and a bunch of other gear. And I was in between jobs, right? I left the Earth Moment thing and, and I was looking for my next adventure. I met the guys at Pluto and it was actually one of those kind of lucky breaks where I came to meet them through a, a friend of mine and they were like, when can you start? So I started that day. At the beginning, the studio was booked 24 seven. It was probably the most intense period of my life because there was like a very big buzz around the studio. It was the only studio ever 
till this day in Israel that was built from the ground out up to be a recording facility. It's, a, it's an amazing place. I'm still here till this day. Oh, okay. So you still do work out of there? Yeah. I, I rent a room here now, but uh, I started here as an engineer. And then at some point, I, I felt like people were coming to the studio to record and working with me, but they were not coming to work with me. You know what I mean? Exactly. Right. So I felt like I had to move to my own room and start building a client relationship based on like people who wanted me in their production as opposed to just coming to the studio and recording something. Yeah, that makes sense. So you started to build up your own, I'd say brand, but you know, your own presence outside of the identity of that studio. Yeah, it was really hard at the beginning. There was just not a lot of people who wanted to work with me at the time. Nothing negative, but just I didn't have a circle of people that I would work with on a regular basis. But I think that's that's another thing that I, I tell the younger generation quite a bit is a lot of times is you just have to like put your flag and say, I'm a mixing engineer and I want to work with you. Yeah. So it's something that at the beginning is really hard and uh, you have to face all these fears and should I approach people? Should I offer my services? How does it work? How do I start growing a business? Just so I'm clear, okay, you're working there. Did you move out or did you just rent a room from them and say, I have to break away? Like, how did you go about that process of stepping away to build your own personal brand? Yeah, so so at the time I couldn't afford a room here because it was really expensive and I didn't have any clients. <laughs> so what I did was I started working from my house, from my bedroom basically. And at the same time was working in the studio as an engineer, like a staff engineer. Mm. And something that I did a lot was if a client would come in and I knew that they don't have a mixing engineer, I would say at the end of the session, if we would have a connection or a good vibe, I would say, I would love to mix this for you. Would you mind giving me a chance to show you what I can do? And then if you like it, we can continue working on it. And I had this deal with Pluto, with the, with the studio. They were kind enough to allow me to do that. And I used to offer them a cut, which they would never take, which is amazing. Like, they were very keen on helping me out and just supporting me. A lot of my uh, clients till this day are people who I met that way and just stayed on and worked with them. Did that story continue for many years of you being a staff engineer, but also building up a client base independently of the studio? Yeah, I probably did that for like, I would say two years. And then after that, I had enough clients to take my own room, but still not in the posh, nice, big studio. So I ended up taking a room and <laughs> like basically me and a friend took a basement office and turned it into a studio. That's a whole different story. But, but we stayed there for a good maybe two or three years. And after that, I moved back to Pluto. So... 
moved back to Pluto, rented my own room here and started bringing clients back to Pluto, which is a full circle because at that point in my career, people did want to work with me or, or know me by name, etc. So I used to do the same thing that I used to do, but the other way around. So bring people to the studio and then say, hey, if you want to record here, you should check out the facility downstairs and we have a deal together, da 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 and uh, there's an awesome staff engineer and help someone out. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So navigating that relationship with Pluto and, and building clients and then, you know, stepping out to do a basement studio with your friend there for a period of time, were there any lessons that you learned about relationships and navigating the relationships of the audio world in order to keep yourself happy and build a good friendship base as well as business base of friends? Yeah. I mean, so, so many lessons. I feel like, first of all, from my experience, again, the biggest thing is having a good, solid relationship with people that enjoy to work with you and people you enjoy working with. So one example would be a really close friend of mine called Aurel, which we met in Pluto. He came in just as a client. I didn't know him at the time. And he was one of the first guys as a producer who wanted to work with me as a mixing engineer later. And at the time, I didn't think it would last a friendship of like 12, 13 years. And I think what I'm trying to say is one of the biggest lessons is being able to form a relationship or working relationship with someone is much more important in my mind than fussing about fixing certain things that you don't like in the mix or maybe doing an extra version that you didn't discuss with the client beforehand. I'm not saying you have to always agree to everything, but I'm saying at the end of the day, in my point of view, part of building a relationship is being flexible. And if you feel like the person that you're working with is worthwhile and you like working with them, you should try and cherish that relationship because it can go a very, very long way. Like me and Aurel has, have done probably 50 or, or 60 records. So Wow. Yeah, that, that is an interesting point. Sometimes we can get a little too wrapped up with, well, we didn't agree to that or I didn't sign up for that or you're not paying me for that. Exactly. And I think w- what I'm trying to say is like from their perspective, a lot of times the line is much more blurry because when a producer walks in and works with a, with a mixing engineer, in my opinion, or from my experience, a lot of times they're having some sort of issue with something that needs fixing. And it wouldn't necessarily be whatever we agreed upon at the first place, or they might have a hard time explaining it, or they might realize after the first revision of the mix that, hey, the drums aren't working so great right now and I might want to replace them. I feel like a lot of times it's worth the effort of swallowing your tongue and saying like, yeah, sure, let's replace the drums, let's auto-tune the vocals, let's do whatever it takes for you to feel like we've reached the goal that you wanted, as opposed to saying like, 
that's going to be an extra, I don't know, 300 bucks or my time is not worth spending on auto-tuning the vocals or whatever. Right. I think that's a really good point. I wanted to briefly ask you, I know I asked you way back when, when we originally met in France and of course for the WCA number 145, where all of you from Mix with the Masters was on. But in retrospect, because I definitely have my point of view on this, but in retrospect, looking back on our time with Chad Blake at that seminar, is there anything that really sticks out for you? I mean, other than, wow, we're here with Chad Blake and this is really cool. But beyond that, I mean, are there any kind of were there any revelations or epiphanies that you had when you were there that remain to this day? Yeah, I'll point out two things. One is, I don't know if you remember this experience the way I did, but sitting around Chad and having him work a song made me realize how different the way he listens to music and his approach towards working on a song is than mine and we've all sat around somebody working on a song I just remember the first time he started working on a mix I don't remember what the mix was but I remember it made no sense to me I was like why is he pulling that EQ on the snare and why is he doing this why is he doing that but then the puzzle made sense after a few minutes and it it was mind-blowing to me that somebody can have such a different approach towards a song where I kind of was doing the same thing for a very long time before I came in that to that seminar. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And you said there were two things. What was the second thing? The second thing is actually not exactly related to Chad, but I just felt such an empowerment or like a, a good feeling to meet so many People who are uh, enthusiastic on the same things that I am, audio nerds, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And something about that meeting and that community and and being in the same place for such a long period of time was amazing. Just the camaraderie and bouncing off ideas and talking to each other was something that I'll remember till <laughs> till the end. Till the end, right. Yeah, it is it, it is quite the experience just sitting around dinner every night or when they'd bring up the beer machine we all sat around and drank <laughs> beer and or staying up late and drinking a bunch of wine and yeah. It's a very very memorable experience. Yeah, and also, I mean, I'll just add to that having so many different cultures in one place and everybody's obsessed about the same things was <laughs> was part of it as well. Yeah. There were like people from all around the world, from so many different cultures, and everyone's on the same page. <laughs> yeah. It makes me want to go back, honestly. I think Chad's amazing, as everybody on the show knows. I'm a big fan of Chad's anyway. And in fact, I was just hanging out with Chad at NAM, which was, of course, equally amazing because what came out of that mix with the Masters was a, a friendship with Chad to where I stay in touch with them, actually. That's amazing. On a, yeah. I wouldn't say a regular basis, but a semi-regular basis. So, right. I want to I want to transition to talk about this Safari pedals thing. So this is a plugin company that you've started, 
And I, I have the plugins. In fact, I've been using them like crazy, dude. I love them. They're great. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, the Time Machine is just super cool. And the, the Gorilla, I can't remember if I got the name right. The Gorilla Drive, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just two new tools that have that aren't that crazy complex, but have such vibe and character. Thanks. But I have to ask you, that's kind of a left turn. I mean, yeah, it's audio, <laughs> but like, where the hell did you just come up with that idea? And how does that play into your career as an audio professional? Because, you know, that takes a lot of time. And I'm just wondering, where did the idea stem from of actually creating plugins? Right. So to begin with, I did have a really strong urge to start developing plugins for years now i've had ideas i'm sure a lot of the listeners have the same kind of feeling i don't know i feel like it's part of being an engineer uh, <laughs> is sitting around and saying you know what would be really awesome is but i got to a point in my career where, where i felt in a way I, I wouldn't say uninspired but i felt like i was reaching up a ceiling in terms of doing the same thing over and over again. And of course, I love mixing, I love mastering. I feel blessed to do this every day. But at the same time, if I'm real with myself, you know, I felt like I'm ready for a new challenge in my life. I also still have this way of thought or concept in my mind that I want to build something that is mine. <laughs> Maybe that sounds selfish or dumb, but mixing for other people or mastering for other people, that's great. And I did build a career off of that. And I, I do still feed my kids from that. But there's something different between being a service provider and building your own brand, your own company. It's just a challenge that I was really keen on doing. I kind of jumped into the water. I still can't say if it's a if it's a smart move or not because at the moment it's still a very small project and I have a lot of work to do and I'm learning like crazy. Like every day is a learning experience for me. That's also part of the point. Just being in a new space, having a lot of questions, not being sure about what's the next step, etc. Well, it takes a a radically different set of skills to some degree. I mean, you, you have to keep marketing. I mean, you market yourself. Yeah. The, the difference here is, is that now you're marketing a product, a set of plugins. And they're very different in the sense that their pedals, visually, they look like guitar pedals. Yeah. And I love the twist on that. But do you feel a pull? Between the two, between your desire to create these plugins and your audio career, do you feel like some days like, oh, I don't want to deal with these plugins? Or, oh, I can't wait to get out of the studio to go work on my plugins. Yeah, I mean, that's also part of it is like being able to have certain days where I'm a, I'm a quote unquote mastering engineer today and then having a, a different day where I, I feel like I'm more starting a business, being an entrepreneur and learning how to do something in that space. I think it also relates to something that I heard a lot about. You were talking about diversifying and not necessarily zooming into one particular thing. 
Yeah, for sure. I can really relate to that because I feel like, especially now with AI, people blurring the line between creation, production, mixing, mastering, even like the different arts. So I've noticed a lot of video creators who now are making music and vice versa. So I feel like everything is kind of changing and we're, we're at like this point where there's just so many things going on that it's kind of hard to hone on just one thing. You know, since I met you, you've had, did you have one kid or two kids? Two. Two. Okay. So <laughs> you're a parent of young kids and I'm wondering if part of your decision-making about doing this plug-in company stem from your concern about ensuring the finances stay steady for the future, especially with two young kids. Is this plug-in company factor into that? Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. It factors into it in so many different levels because, first of all, let's be honest, having kids is really, really expensive. <laughs> it got to a point where if I'm being frank and open about it, I got to working my ass off every day and getting a lot of work, but still not being able to feel very comfortable with what I can offer my kids. And I'm not, I'm not saying we're having a hard time or anything. I feel blessed and I, I, we have everything we need, but it's different than in my perspective now. Maybe in a year, I'll look at it differently, but in my perspective now, I feel like it's very different being in that state of mind and uh, having to rely on other people working with you compared to starting your own business and being an owner of a company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, a different path that you, you've taken there. But I love it because you're doing the diversification thing. I'll double down on it. I mean, to this day, I still feel like that is the smart method of staying alive and surviving in this. Because I know that it's helped me greatly over the last, since I started the podcast, that diversification concept just keeps paying dividends and, and working out. So I'll put a link in the show notes to the plug-in company. It's it's Safari Pedals. And I can tell you, audience, they're, they're super cool. They're fun plugins, and I think you'll get a big kick out of them. And I look really look forward to seeing what, what other stuff you come up with, Nam, because I'm digging what you're doing so far. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Are you maintaining a website for yourself still? Yes, I do have a website for myself, but I'm actually in the process of rebuilding it. And what I want to do in my new website that I'm, I'm working on right now is being able to offer online mastering services with kind of a twist in that I want it to have a questionnaire. I feel like, from my experience, there are specific questions that I ask clients before I start working on a job. Like, if you had to choose between loud and dynamic, what would you choose? Stuff like that. So I want to be able to have people submit their music, but also get some sense of what they're looking to get before working on it, as opposed to all these online services where you just upload the song and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of those where they ask for very little information. I think the person that gets the most 
detailed about all that is Justin Perkins, because I use Justin all the time, and I know that hmm. his website is is chock full of detail. So you sh- you should check him out, and everybody else should check him out as well in terms of you know yeah how to do it. I'll check him out right now. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Thanks. Mystery Room Mastering is is his mastering company. Well, super cool. Did is there anything that we didn't touch on that uh, you wanted to bring up before we uh, sign off? I really appreciate being on the show, and I appreciate you for doing the show. It's it's awesome, and I really enjoy listening to it. So thank you. Thank you, and thank you for coming on. I I appreciate the time you take to do this because got to set aside time and then I rescheduled on you because because I had to reschedule on you. I was I was <laughs> and I'll be honest with you I was going to go uh, Vance Powell was in Berkeley working with Fish and I and oh, he nice. was like, "Hey man, wow. I'm in town." I was like, "Oh shit. Okay, well, let me move my interview." And then his situation, I guess the board he was working on, he's doing broadcast stuff for Fish blew up and there was a big Whoa. there was a big thing, so it really just ended up destroying the ability for us to get together. So unfortunately, oh, I, mi- no. I miss seeing Vance. So, but anyways, yeah, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. And audience, links will be in the show notes. Check those out. And uh, Noam, we'll chat with you later. Yeah, thank you. All right, take care. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Noam Levenberg here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for being here with me today. I do appreciate it week after week when you tune in. And if you like the show, please head on over to your podcast aggregator and drop a five-star review if you do like the show. Maybe mention something. If you're on Apple Music, I think you can leave a comment there, and that would be greatly appreciated. That's all for me today, though. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plo and the editing Cliff Truesdell on the Working Class Audio theme song and the magic voice of you-know-who, Chuck Smith. They're at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn and always feel free to email me, Matt at workingclassaudio.com. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.